0: I think I'm going to run into stuff, so I'm just going to move it a little bit. Is that all right? All right. Cool. I still might. All right. Looking forward to opening up God's Word again this morning. This morning, we're in a tough passage. Uh, We have been trying to prepare for this season of Christmas. Uh, There's this waiting for the coming of the Messiah by going through an Old Testament book called Habakkuk. It's one of the minor prophets called that because it's a short book. It's only three chapters. We're taking four weeks to go through it as we look forward to, uh, as as we look at a, a prophet who is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And we're looking to see how this points us towards Jesus and towards Christmas. And so, uh, we're in Habakkuk chapter 2, if you have a Bible. Um, by the way, uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, it'd be helpful uh, to bring it with you. We do typically put it on the screen. I try and make slides so that if you don't have a Bible or if maybe yours is a different translation, we can all be seeing the same thing. But uh, sometimes it's hard to read, and uh, we do have Bibles in the back. So if you come in some week, you forget your Bible. I just think it's good to have one open in front of you so you're learning how to use it. Uh, and not just kind of take my word for it. Um, so uh, just, just keep that in mind. We do uh, want to be in the word while we're together. And so if you have a Bible, if you need a Bible and you don't have one, uh, talk to us and we'll just get you one because we want you to have God's word in your hand. The the A longer introduction this morning before we read from Habakkuk chapter 2. Um, partly to just introduce again, the, the concept of the book, there's been a lot of people gone with sickness and being away and that kind of thing, and, and, and it's, it's a hard passage that we're looking at today. So I think in order for us to really understand it well, we're going to need to have a little more context. So I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But you notice the title of the message is God is Always Just. God is Always Just. As humans, we have a desire for justice. We want justice to take place here on this earth but justice is hard to maintain because of sin and so it's very easy and quick to see that we live in a world where there is injustice we have a whole wing of our government that works on um, justice right and so i am uh, so grateful for those that that give their lives really um, to lawmaking to working in the ju- judicial system to those working in law enforcement the reason that we have to have law enforcement is because Justice doesn't just happen. Uh, We we need some agents to, to make sure, some human agents to try and ensure that we have justice in this world that we live in. And we are blessed, aren't we, to live in a place where most of the time justice prevails, but we also live in the world. And in this world, justice doesn't always prevail and when justice doesn't prevail again grateful to live in a country where we can we can speak up and we have opportunity to do something about injustice in the world that we live in Uh, and so if you watch the news there's always reports of injustice that, that that people are perceiving uh to to be real at this time and so you can look in the news uh over the last couple of weeks for sure mass media social media lots of other conversations have been giving much attention to two separate cases in which grand juries, again, part of that system of justice that that is good but not perfect, Uh, two grand juries deciding in both cases not to bring indictments against officers in the deaths of unarmed men, both Michael Brown and Eric Garner. And so there are a small group of people who respond to what they perceive as, as injustice there with looting and violence, uh, a, a greater number of people that are responding with peaceful protesting, and, and thankfully, a, a large number of people that are just having, hopefully, helpful conversations to try and better understand people that may have a different skin color than we do. And that's something that doesn't often happen enough. And, and so for me, kind of my approach has been... Recognizing that I have a limited perspective um, is to try and listen well to, to, to other people. And so as, as my limited perspective being that from being a, a white man, I want to try and listen to African-American brothers and sisters in Christ and hear how they're responding to things that they're experiencing. And so we know that, that in this world, justice doesn't always prevail. And so racism might be one of those areas that needs our attention because we recognize that every life has value as as people made in the image of God. But there are injustices all around us. In America, approximately one million babies who have no voice as they develop inside what ought to be the safe place of their mother's womb have their lives taken away each year through abortion. And this is unjust. Human trafficking, we talked about that a few weeks ago when we had a special guest here during Sunday school from Wings of Refuge ministry here in town. Human trafficking is a growing problem here in our country and even in our area. There are approximately 200,000 people per year, U.S. citizens being trafficked within our country. And that number is rising each year. The average age of entry into that, they said, was 12 years old. And this is unjust as well. And so we live in a world that's not always just. And we wonder, is there an answer? We wonder, is there, where, where's God in all of this? And the passage today will answer that in part. But it is, on its own, a really tough passage and, and could be a little foggy as we try and wade through it. So it needs to be set in the context of the whole book of Habakkuk and the whole Bible. So we're going to spend some time in Habakkuk 2, 6 through 20 today, but then we're going to expand that and go into the New Testament in the book of Romans and Revelation as well. So there is, in your bulletin an outline, that might help you as we follow, it to follow along, and then also an application guide for you to spend looking at for the rest of the week. But we're looking at this book of Habakkuk. And we've found so far, in this book that was written about 2,600 years ago, that's a long time ago, but we've found that it's a very timely book. In the first two chapters, we've seen two interactions between God and Habakkuk. That's really what this is. It's a record of interactions between Habakkuk the prophet and, God. and Habakkuk seems to be speaking on behalf of the other people in Judah at the time. And Habakkuk's praying prayers of complaint and protest. He just doesn't get what's going on. And so you might remember his first complaint back in verses 3 and 4. You can even look at it. Habakkuk 1, 3, and 4 said, Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong?" Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. And so he's complaining to God. He's saying, God, there's injustice all over the place and it seems like you're not doing anything about it, God. And God answers Habakkuk saying, I am doing something. In fact, what I am doing, you won't even believe you, me if I told you. And he tells them that he is raising up this bitter and hasty nation filled with violent, greedy, arrogant men. And those people are going to be the ones that God uses to bring judgment on his own people. And Habakkuk's response to that is what we looked at last week. His response is not, oh, right, God, that makes sense. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for having a plan. His response is more complaining and more protesting. He's like, God, that can't be your plan. Really? That's your plan? That I know that we have some problems, and I'm complaining about that. We have some sin, but you, you certainly couldn't use more wicked people to bring judgment on us for our sin. That can't be your plan, God. And God brings up uh, another response starting in chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord answers him again, and the answer after after his complaints of protest and confusion as to why God is doing what he's doing, One of the one of the highlights that we looked at last week is, chapter 2, verse 4, where God says, but the righteous will live by his faith. There's going to be people who, in the midst of all this suffering, look at it and say, I don't get it, and turn away from God. And there's other people who are looking at it and saying, I don't quite get it all, but I do trust that God is good, and I'm going to trust in him. And so that's kind of where we're left now as we get to verse 6. And we still have this question. Because the question is, so, so God is raising up these Wicked, arrogant, greedy, violent people to bring judgment on Judah. But that doesn't seem like justice. Do they get punished? Do they get punished for what they're doing, for being violent, greedy, arrogant, and wicked? Or does God just let that go? Is God just okay with sin? What we're going to see today as we go through Habakkuk 2, verses 6 through 20, is that God is always just and there will be punishment for evil and injustice. And so, if you could, open up your Bible to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 through 20 is what we're going over today. And if you could also, please stand as we read God's Word. Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 6. God's Word says this, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own? For how long? And loads himself with pledges? Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those who awake will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You can be seated you know what I'm saying? That's a tough passage. That's a tough passage. um, But God's Word says that God's Word is inspired by God, and all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we're going to look at this passage, and then we're going to see how it fits in all of Scripture. And so let's look at it pretty quickly, actually. We'll go through these first 15 verses, and then we're going to turn to the New Testament. The first point is this, that God is just. And we see that because God turns his judgment toward the wicked. God will turn his judgment toward the wicked. God is just. Habakkuk's question at the end of chapter 1, if you look at that, the last verse in chapter 1 was, Is he, and when he's saying he, he's speaking of the enemy, then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? That's Habakkuk's question. Like, God, these people are evil, Doing this forever? God's answer here in verses six through twenty is no. God will judge these wicked people for their sin. And so the answer that God gives comes actually in the fact of five separate woes. So that's what verses six through twenty are. It's fifteen verses, and each woe is like three verses. So it's it's five different woes. But note this: look at chapter six, or sorry, chapter two, verse six. Here's what it says at the beginning. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles? Okay. Shall not all these, who are all these? All these are those who have survived the wickedness of the Babylonians who have come to take God's people away. All these are the survivors, probably not just of Judah, but also of the other nations whom Babylon has come to crush. So all these will now take up their taunt against him. And the him here is the evil nation Babylon. Okay, So the tables are going to be turned, and God, who used Babylon to judge his own people, is now going to use other people to judge Babylon. Okay? The tables are going to be turned, and that's what we see here in these five woes. So let's just go through them uh, pretty quickly, but one by one. Let's look at the first one. Turntable number one is this. Wealthy plunderers will be plundered. Okay? So you see in this that these people are unjust. The Babylonians are those who heap up what is not their own, loading themselves with pledges. And it says in verse 8, look at verse 8, because you have plundered many nations. That's what the Babylonians have been doing, right? They've been going from nation to nation, plundering them violently killing people and then taking their stuff. And Habakkuk's question is, is this going to go on forever? That seems unjust, God. And God says, no, actually the tables will be turned. And it says in verse 8, because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant, here's that surviving group again, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Okay, so there's going to be a turning of the tables, and those that have plundered others will themselves be plundered. Second one is this. Turntable number two, fortifiers will forfeit their lives. So these people are unjust, and they think that through all that they have gained by evil means, they're going to be able to protect themselves, right? They've done all these evil things to get what they want, and they think they can use all these things that they've gained to protect themselves. You see that in verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, and to be safe from the reach of harm. They don't think they need God, right? They've gotten everything they need. They can protect themselves. They're fortified. No worry in the world. We're strong. We're tough. Nobody can mess with us. That's their attitude. But God says the tables are going to be turned. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. And the very very materials that they have used to build up this wall, Those are going to turn against them, it says in verse 11. So, that's turntable number two. Let's turn to turntable number three. Turntable number three, we see the injustice of the Babylonians in this. Look at this, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The Babylonians would come in and they would take out a town, take out a city, and they would set it up the way they wanted it. And that was a way of just self-glorification, of telling everybody, you don't want to mess with us. Look at how impressive of a city that we can build. Look at how impressive of a town that we can build. But the whole time, they're doing it with other people's blood. This is unjust, the way that they're going about taking over nations. And they're glorifying themselves. They're self-glorifiers, but God, but they will be engulfed in God's glory. And so we see that most clearly In verse 14, I like verse 14. Earlier we sang the song, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And verse 14 here says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you've got these Babylonians, they're trying to build themselves up and they're using it, they're they're doing it by violent means. They're trying to build up cities so that they look impressive and everybody looks at them and says, wow. And God says, the tables are going to be turned because you don't deserve that. In Isaiah, God says that he is the Lord and he will not give his glory to another. Nobody else deserves the glory that only God deserves. And so he will not allow them to forever build up cities looking impressive on their own because God alone deserves to be glorified. And then we come to turntable number four out of five. We see that in verses 15 to 17. They are unjust. They are doing shameful things. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and you make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Talking of just the the evil, the shameless acts of these people. It sounds like he's maybe describing a college campus even. Shameful things being done shamelessly, right? Right? You're just, you're just getting drunk and getting other people drunk in order that you can look on their nakedness. That's how evil that the Babylonians are. They're shameless in their, in their doing of evil, but those tables will be turned as well. Their sin will be revealed to them as sin, and they will be ashamed. And in verse 16, it says, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. Cup is a symbol of God's wrath. That will be turned on them. Then we get to the fifth one. The fifth one we see in uh, verses 18 through 20. Fifth one is this, idolaters will be silenced. See what these people of Babylon are doing, they don't worship the God of the Bible. The people of Babylon are making their own little gods out of something. They're crafting them out of metal. And so in verse 18 it says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. God is just highlighting, listen, your idolatry is stupid. Right? I mean, you are, you, you are not worshiping the one true God. Instead, you're making your own little gods out of metal, and then you worship them. You learn from them. They're your teachers, and you worship them. That's who you're worshiping, and that's ridiculous. And so God will not allow them to go on forever worshiping false gods. And so in verse 20, it says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Okay, this is a hard passage. And I got to the end and I got to verse 20 and it says, let all the earth keep silence before him. And I thought, you know what? That's a good response to this passage because as I read passages that talk about God's judgment and it's hard to swallow kind of stuff when you read that these these taunts these woes these these oracles of judgment being spoken against some evil people and it's hard God's judgment of the wicked and the way that he goes about judging it's hard to understand that. I'm not saying okay so I get this. All right, this is good. I don't I don't totally get this. But I get to verse 20 where it says but the lord is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him and I think rather than me very quickly trying to explain this away or, or arrogantly assuming that I have a better idea of how God should judge people than he does right I, I don't I don't have that I don't have a better idea I can't give God some advice and say god why did you do it that way you should have done it this way instead I don't I don't have that kind of wisdom, that I can go before the God who made all things, the God who is holy and able and will judge all things, and tell him that the way he's judging is wrong. I don't want to be that arrogant. I am that arrogant sometimes, but I don't want to be that arrogant, right? And so I think a good response to, to, to all of this talk of God's judgment, and it's hard, is to just sit in silence before him. And then maybe as we're sitting in silence, we can remind ourselves of what we know to be true. And that's what I want to do for the rest of this sermon, to take us to some stuff that we know to be true. Because we can look at this passage and very quickly write it off because, well, this was for Babylon. and last time I checked, we don't live in a nation called Babylon, right? And so, so this isn't for us. This is for them. This is for people that lived 2,600 2, years ago, and they were really, really bad. I'm not really, really bad like them. They're really, really bad. But I'm not really, really bad. I'm just bad, right? And so, so, so we look at it, and we're like, well, we're not Babylon. I don't deserve that kind of judgment. That was something that was for them. And you can look around you today and say, I could even say there's other places and other people that are Babylon, but it's not me. There's people that are more wicked than me that deserve judgment more than me. Therefore, this is not for me. I can just kind of write this off as this is for the other people. But something I know to be true is that God is holy and I am sinful. And in light of that, I and you and everybody here deserves God's judgment. So in this passage, we see God's judgment coming upon some wicked people for doing wicked things. And hopefully what the Holy Spirit does in our own hearts is that he helps us to realize that we are wicked people who have done wicked things rebellious things against a holy God, and we too are deserving of God's judgment. He's a holy God, and we've lived in a way that is wicked and unpleasing, and we deserve his judgment. In Habakkuk, we see God's wrath turned against the wicked. And and it'd be easy if we could just say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. That's the way the God of the Old Testament works. But remember that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, right? That we have one God, uh, and and he doesn't change. And so we need to try and understand this. We need to ask ourselves the question, okay, if God is still just, he hasn't changed that, and he still must judge sin, and I'm a sinner, then how do I escape his judgment? How do, how do I not have the same kind of fate that those in Babylon had as rebellion, rebellion, rebels against God? So the question is, how will we escape God's judgment? We get some answers in Habakkuk but it gets really clear when we get to the New Testament. So I want to turn there. Go ahead and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5. So that's in the New Testament. You'll have to get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you get to Romans. We're going to look at four verses in Romans, chapter 5, because I want to have an answer to this for us. I don't want to just leave you with God is just and he will judge sin. The end. We want to know how do we escape? How, how do we escape God's judgment, which is just? So we look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11. Let's look at verse 8 first. Here's what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Okay, so this is acknowledging us as sinners, but here's what God did. Showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Died for us. That word "for" that's 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 in our place as our substitute. That while we were still sinners, God did something, and what He did was He sent His Son to die for us. Verse nine. Look at verse nine. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So God is just in justifying us because there has been a substitute payment, and that is Jesus. And what did he come to save us from? Did you see that in verse 9? What did Jesus come to save us from? We're not just saved from a life without purpose, right? God doesn't save us from a life without purpose. We're not just saved so that we can get together with family and friends in heaven someday. We are saved from something. And according to Romans chapter 5, verse 9, it says this, We will be saved by him from the wrath of God. That's what we see in the book of Habakkuk. We see the, 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 the wrath of God being poured out for sin. We're wondering, now, how do we escape that? That doesn't sound good to me. How do I escape that? We're saved by the wrath of God through Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross and our faith in him. Here's a little more of how it works. Verse 10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So we're reconciled. That is, we had this relationship with God where we were his enemies. So it says, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So God is just. God is just because he still punishes sin. But for all those who trust in Jesus, God has poured out all of his wrath for our sin on him, and we have received his righteousness instead. And this is good news. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then we come to verse 11. Verse 11 says this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So here's how we live now. If you're one who has repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, you don't pay the penalty for your sin anymore. You have escaped God's judgment and God's just wrath for your sin through your faith in Christ by His grace. And now you can live, it says, rejoicing in God. We don't have to live anymore in fear of judgment. right? You don't have to live with shame for your sin anymore because that has been taken on by Christ and paid in full. That's why Christmas, the celebration of the birth of Jesus, is such good news. He comes to provide us with reconciliation, to make us right with God. That's why Jesus came. So earlier, we sang, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Right? We sing about that, at Christmas, because that's what Jesus came to do, to reconcile us to our God. But there are those who would persist in their disobedience, who would continue in their rejection of God and disregard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the bad news is God is just. It's good news. It's good news for us who are saved, but it's bad news for those who are perishing. And so you could look then, we won't read Revelation chapter 18, you could do that on your own, but if you flip forward in your Bible, go ahead and and flip to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18 speaks of Babylon. And Babylon is a representation, certainly, of a group of people who have rejected God as their king. They've rejected God as their king, and all those who reject God as their king will be judged. And so we could read through Revelation chapter 18 and see how those Babylon, those those people who have rejected God as their king, will be judged by God in the end. And it gets a lot more personal, though, when you turn to Revelation 21. So go ahead and flip to Revelation chapter 21. If you were in adult Sunday school earlier, we went through verses 1 through 7 of Revelation chapter 21. Those are glorious verses this promise of the new heavens and the new earth, that God himself will come and dwell with us, that he will be our God and we, we will be his people. I always get that mixed up. He will be our God and we will be his people. Good news, there will be no more mourning, no more death, no more crying, no more pain for all those who trust in Jesus. This is good news. This is what we can look forward to. But then we get to Revelation, that's Revelation 21, 1 through 7. And then we get to verse 8. Here's what verse 8 says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 8 is sobering. Each of those sins listed there and many others are rebellion against a holy God and is against a holy God who is just, and he will and he must punish sin. And so I just want to close this morning with a plea for you. If you are somebody who has repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus as your Savior, here's my plea for you. My plea for you is wait. Even when things are looking bleak, remember that God is just and sin will not go on go on unpunished. That justice in the end will prevail. There will be justice and peace on this earth. And that will happen because Jesus is coming again. Just as God promised that he came the first time, God has promised us that he will come again. We sang earlier, Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in Thee. If you're a Christian, you can wait with hope because Jesus is coming again, and God is just, and justice will prevail. And by His grace and mercy, through your faith in Jesus, you have been spared, and you will not experience God's judgment. Jesus experienced that in your place. But a plea for those who. Maybe wouldn't say, well, I'm not Babylon, I'm not that bad. But those who are humans, who have sinned in many ways, maybe one of these ways listed here in Revelation 21, 8, or maybe another way. My message to you, my plea for you is don't wait. Don't wait. Repent and believe. If you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, the reality is you are still under the righteous wrath and just wrath of god and there's no way out except for you to repent of your sin and trust in jesus as your savior you you can't you can't try and make up for it by trying harder to be better it's not going to cut it you may be feeling the weight of your own sin weighed down with guilt and shame but jesus was born to set us free to reconcile us to God, to release us from sin, and to give us rest. And so would you today trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you haven't done that? I'd like to talk to you about that. This is a hard passage. It's hard to think of the fact that there will be judgment. But at the same time, it's something that we long for because we long for justice. We don't want sin and evil to go on forever Right? We want to see an end to sin and evil, and God will come, and he will judge. It's a hard message. And sin can feel often like it has a strong grip, but the truth is we worship a God who is stronger than sin. Right, We worship a God who sent his own son to be born of a virgin, be laid in a manger even though he was the king. He was laid in a feeding trough, and he was the king who would grow up and live a life of perfect obedience. He put to death on the cross, and then God would raise him from the dead three days later. He's ascended to heaven, and he will return again to judge the the living and the dead. And so we want to trust in him, in a God who is stronger, a God who came to defeat sin and death. And We have hope in him and in him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that... uh, we thank you that we can't understand you, that we can't we can't read some hard passages of Scripture and get to the end and just say, oh, I get it. That makes a lot of sense. We confess that, that because Scripture reveals to us who you are, there are some things that are just going to be really, really hard for us to grasp. And understanding your holiness, your judgment, and how you go about judging, that's hard for us to understand. But God, I thank you for what you've given us that's easy to understand. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There really is, in the end, very easy to understand. And God, I pray that if, if somebody here is just starting to understand it, maybe for the first time, that they would have the courage to ask some questions. If they're at that spot where they're recognizing that they're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment that they would today turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. God for all of us whose sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. We've been justified because you're just and you didn't you didn't just not punish sin, but you poured out your punishment on your own son. We 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 want to worship you this morning, God, as the God who is stronger than than the grip that sin Sim, seems to still have on us. God, I thank you for the, the hope that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can know and trust that you are a God who's stronger and nobody can stand against us because you cover us with, with the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sin. We're so thankful. So we come to worship you As we leave this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.